Hello and welcome to Life and Dev. This is a podcast where Life and Dev meet together where we discuss games and today I have Marie-Claire Leblanc and I'm Elise Terranova so settle in for an episode of uh, Life and Dev. Marie, what on earth are you doing here in Berlin? I moved to Berlin to change my life. I was living in Canada and I felt like there was no time left in my life for me. And I had this idea that I wanted to come to Berlin and learn how to make experimental games. And that's what I did. <laughs> and that's what you, uh, you've you done quite a few now, though, too. Yeah, I so, think I'm at five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what sort of things are you experimenting with? I'm experimenting with narrative, storytelling, and identity, people's own stories, and the spaces between people, how people come together, and... And differences between digital and physical worlds uh, and smell. And right now I've been growing cellulose uh, to use as a game controller. Cellulose is in like plant matter. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, because that's conductive with electricity, right? Because it's water-based. Is it that right? is. Okay. So you can thread cables through that and touch it and yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah cool. I thought I might make an interesting controller because it feels so much like human flesh in a nice way, in a really good way. And you could use sensors inside it and touch it in different ways to make things happen. Mm. And it would be engaging for people. And it's alive. That is true. I mean, it's it's cold and wet, though. So <laughs> I guess with human stuff, it's often warm. Uh, ew. <laughs> yeah there is something gross about it and, yeah and usually when it's growing and people come in and they see it they don't respond well to it which i also think is interesting because it looks so human how do you actually grow it you feed it so you start with some culture and then you feed it this mixture of soybean water so the water that you grow that you cook soybeans in and sugar and uh yeah you add that every couple of weeks so it's kind of like, I mean, you're, you're growing a bacteria effectively. I was kind of mm-hmm. imagining aloe vera to begin with and that you were opening up aloe vera, but you're actually like growing this kind of glutinous thing. That's right. Yeah. And you can dry it out and it looks a lot like a thin paper or leather. Uh, and depending on how you grow it, you can make it more flexible or more or more brittle. I think I heard about people making handbags out of this stuff. You probably did. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, that sounds really weird. <laughs> okay, so um, and uh, like, I could, uh, this is something I have no idea of. So, how much can you grow, and how quickly does it grow? Like, how much have you managed to amass in the time that you've been growing it? It grows very slowly. Okay. Uh, well, people say it grows quickly, but for my purposes of experimentation, it feels like it takes a very long time uh, because you can grow a few inches in a month, let's say, or six weeks. But then when you dry it, if you're using it dried, it shrinks down to a paper width. So, okay. yeah. And it takes up a lot of space and it's very stinky. So uh, you need a space. You really need a space for growing it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> But this is just one experimentation. Uh, I'm I'm interested. I'm interested in experimenting with materials, but more than interest anything, I'm interested in experimenting with ideas mm-hmm. and yeah, the relationships between people and the way people feel. Yeah. Well, there's one project that I particularly want to talk to you about, which I think you know which one it is. It's the uh, a VR experience with a fly. Mm. Um, 
can you set it up? Because I've not yet seen it. I've only heard about it. So I think the best way to describe it is to let you describe it. Sure. I'd love to. So I made a VR experience called Other Hands. And the way it works is you, you put on the headset. Well, I put the headset on you. This was kind of a very special part of the experience for me. I put the headset on you and and you open your eyes and you're in this room. And and there's not much in the room. It's just a room. There's a, there's a disembodied body. I guess it is embodied body. There's a body <laughs> floating around. Uh, it feels disembodied somehow. And it's floating around and, and there's not really anything else. And you... And you look down at your hands, your real life hands, and you see them in in the game in the room. And I used Elite Motion to do this. So you look down and see your hands and then it starts glitching out and it snapshots your hands and you start to realize you can make cool art just by moving your hands around. And you're having a pleasurable experience. I mean, it's nice in the room. The lighting is nice. It sounds good. But then all of a sudden, there's this noise that comes out of nowhere. It's bzzz, and, <laughs> and you look and you see that there are these flies buzzing around one fly or sometimes a couple buzzing around your head in circles in this really annoying way. And you're trying to make your hand art. I mean, this is what players do. They try and make their hand art. And this fly is just buzzing, buzzing. And and the player has a choice. The player has this choice. Do they let the fly be or do they swat at the fly? Mm. And, uh, and if, if they choose to swat at the fly, should I, should I tell what happens not, now? Not yet. <laughs> okay, I, I, think, I think give us the two, two, uh, um, the two options and then we'll mm. talk about the, the repercussions. Right. So, <laughs> yes, you can choose to, to swat at the fly, mm. um, as many people would in, in this life and this reality. Or you can choose not to and just to let it be. Uh, if you swat at the fly, can you kill the fly or are you just kind of telling it to buzz off? You, you do kill the fly. Okay, by, swat by it. swatting it, you, you kill it almost mm-hmm. instantaneously or do you have to have a few goes at it to kill it? If you touch it, you kill it. So it's okay. flying around. Mm-hmm. Um, people miss. <laughs> okay, <Yeah>. okay. <laughs> but <laughs> All right, now it's time for repercussion time. So what happens if you just swat at the fly without killing it? Nothing. Okay. It just keeps flying. It just keeps yeah. flying. Uh, what happens if you kill the fly? If you kill the fly, if you kill the fly or flies that are in the room, um, I take the headset off you and I say, the game's over. You've killed a fly. Uh, that was your fly. And, uh, and you know, this fly, it wasn't, it wasn't a real fly, but it also was in a way a real fly. And your action was real, even though the fly wasn't real. And so because of this, I want to, create a moment here with you this is your fly and it's it's part of your experience your life experience and I have a tattoo artist here and the tattoo artist is going to tattoo your fly onto you so you can have it with you forever inscribed on your skin in in this way that it is also inscribed in your skin in your experience you've you've won congratulations (laughs) you've won a fly tattoo you've won a fly tattoo (laughs) so um where did they get that tattooed? Oh, right there, right at the experience. So there was a tattoo artist standing right there. And physically? Oh, they could choose anywhere on their body. Oh, okay, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what do people go for? Like, So I, I heard kind of a little bit about this ex- experience. You had about five people that five. went for the fly. Yeah. Like, where did they choose to get their tattoos? One woman, it was her first tattoo ever. And, oh, my uh, God. <laughs> 
<laughs> was she story. wanting to get a tattoo? Was she shocked? Was she, she was. I mean, everyone was shocked when I first said it. I, most people thought I was joking uh, or that I meant in, they'd go back into VR and then they'd have a VR tattoo. But once they realized that I was serious, people's responses were very different, very diverse, very mixed. All the people who got the tattoos wanted the tattoos. And in fact, in some cases, if people were intoxicated uh, because it was at a place that was selling beer, I didn't even tell them about the tattoo option. Some people, I thought, uh, consent is really important to me. Yeah. And, and this is an artistic experience, but uh, all experiences for me, consent is important. So if I felt that they weren't able to consent, even because of a little intoxication, I was not offering. <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. Um, did anyone outwardly disagree? It was like, there's no way in hell. Yes, of course. People and people sometimes were horrified once they realized that I was serious, that there was a tattoo artist there. And how did you um, respond to that in that situation? Uh, honestly, I would laugh. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And did anyone like come around to getting a tattoo or people like absolutely no, there's no way in hell you're going to do this to me? There, There's no way in hell. Was, okay. Yeah. For some people, it, some people were really curious and interested, but frightened. Mm -hmm. And in this case, I would say, think about it. Uh, think about it and come back later if you want. This is also an option. Think yeah. about your actions in the corner. And <laughs> think, think about what you did. To that <laughs> think about fly. what you've done. <laughs> yeah, not predictive at all. <laughs> um, and I guess this is a really interesting one because the game experience is much bigger than. Also, it's much bigger than two players in this situation. It's kind of, well, it's three players. You build a tattoo artist into it as well. Mm -hmm. So you've got this real world crossover with the VR experience crossover. Where for you, where does the experience start and where does the experience end? And what do you think um, the players of your experience would say for that as well? Mm, yeah, I, I think most players would say it starts when they open their eyes inside the virtual environment. Uh, for me, it started much earlier than that. Yeah. And uh, and I mean, for me, the creative experience starts when it starts being formed in someone's mind, like really, really early on. Uh, so, so for me, it's really far back. Um, but certainly in terms of the player, I was thinking about them as an individual and creating this experience for them as an individual from the moment they start walking up to me. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about how they feel, how the situation feels for them and what it's going to be like. And I'm, I'm showing them to their seat which is their seat, you know, for each player, it's their seat. And I'm very carefully putting this headset on them. Yes. Yeah. This, this is one of my favorite parts of the experience was just putting, and I love watching people do it. I love doing it. I, and I think it's something that we have right now that's really special is this act of pulling the strap down. And is the person comfortable putting the headphones over the ears? There's something very intimate about it that I find very special. Yeah. I guess that's also quite performative on your part too if you're kind of facilitating this like you know sit down get comfortable are you uh do you feel like you're not acting but performing in a way when you do that with them as well taking on a certain persona or yeah definitely yeah. I and I didn't realize how much I would feel that way until the end of the first player playing because when they when they ended and I had to take the headset off them and tell them you know this is over this is done. You've done this thing. Now this is what happens. That was when I realized how big the circle of experience was for me. Mm -hmm. And it changed my my performance. And I do think it was a an, an enactment, if not a performance. But my performance changed over the night. 
as I got more used to this experience. And probably as you practice, a as few, you on practice. a few people <laughs> first to be like, huh, I wonder how I can sort of frame this in a slightly less frightening way. <laughs> but they liked it. I mean, most, most, uh, certainly the artists who came and experienced this mostly liked it, though they felt challenged by it. I think that's also it too, is you weren't, you weren't exhibiting it as part of, as a game per se. It was mm. more of as an art experience, right? Where, where we, were you showing it, first yeah, of all? At Akud uh, in Mita, mm-hmm. uh, as part of the School of Machines Making and Make-Believe, okay. uh, where I was working for the summer and also also learning there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Is it more of a gallery space or an experimental space or how would you kind of categorize, what did people think they were coming to? That's a good question. They thought they were coming to a VR showcase Mm -hmm. yeah that's i think that's how it was promoted as a as a virtual reality showcase uh though though it was pretty diverse most of the other experiences in the room were were cardboard were google cardboard and they were they were filmed with 360 degree degree cameras there was one experience with an htc vive in another room but mostly people were walking around this room and they were looking into these google cardboards and non-google so many trademarks uh, <laughs> and seeing some filmed experiences and a few other things, but then they would come to mine. And I think this is why it was so shocking that mine had this external element of a, mm-hmm. of a tattoo artist. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, with the tattoo, I, I really, I wanted something that was very permanent. Like I wanted something that spoke chose to well. permanence of choices in virtual worlds. And I had been inspired by this uh, artist that I know, Alice Stewart, who I'd met about a month before, who had done a project where she used machine learning to generate a tattoo for herself. And so I had kind of tattoos on the mind, even though I have none. <laughs> as as this incredibly permanent and beautiful thing that I could use as an art tool, you know, like cellulose. So, yeah. uh, back to the tattoo just quickly. Like, yeah, how course. big was it and how long did it take for them to get tattooed? It was pretty small. It was about... That's pretty big. You're showing me about an inch right now. Like yeah. Three, almost three centimeters. Okay. okay. Uh, like a cartoony kind of fly or... I tried to make it as nice as possible so it was a bit like an eight yeah uh or the infinity symbol and you designed the tattoo as well I did, okay yeah. right mm-hmm. and with a line through it okay uh, okay yeah. so it was a very stylized fly it was very stylized i didn't want this beady-eyed bug-eyed looking terrifying hairy yeah. thing for people <laughs> uh, i didn't want to punish them it wasn't just supposed to be a punishment and it wasn't i felt I felt almost reluctant to do this project because I thought people will misunderstand and they'll they'll think that I'm saying video games cause violence or something, which is not at all what I was saying. Mm. I really wanted to be clear that this was, it wasn't a punishment and it wasn't really a reward either though. It was kind of a repercussion. It was a, it was a making physical this thing that is already happening and that we're not talking about in virtual reality. Yeah. That that our choices in virtual reality and the things that they do, they, they impact us in drastic ways. I think the choices of creators in what they're making in VR and 360 film is also the same thing, but not that is not also not being addressed. It's like what harm can you do as a creator of VR experiences and what good can you do? But I guess also like the ability to do harm, like not to say that we shouldn't, use VR because it can do us harm like everything can but to really look into 
what it's good for, what it's bad for, and and where does where in this gigantic field which we're still experimenting with what are the borders what are the ethics what is our responsibility to players or experiences of of what we're making and i think this kind of really plays with it in an interesting way what you've what you've done thank you uh when you first told me i was like what (laughs) (laughs) um because i i can just imagine like the clickbait headline vr artist forces uh, participants to get fly tattoo. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think when you're talking about it, how do you frame it in a way as well, which makes people think about what you're trying to do? Yeah. When I talked about the evolution of the enactment or performance over the night, that was a big part of it mm-hmm. was seeing how people responded and then framing it for them because this moment was really important where I take off the headset uh, or sometimes they would pull it up and look at me like, whoa, I think they, I just killed. <laughs> oh, my God. So they knew that they'd done something that was like, you know, yeah. for better or for worse. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. Uh, sorry, what was the question? I, I forget. How do you frame it in a way that helps people understand what you're trying to do? Right. <laughs> it was it was very challenging to frame the experience in a way that helped people understand what I was trying to do and and earlier when I was saying that a lot of the artists came who came to this experience appreciated it felt challenged by it but really liked it mm-hmm. uh, I think many of the people who were VR developers and don't identify as artists really disliked it uh, yeah had I some, understand why yeah. had some intense feedback from a few people. Uh, who said this doesn't make sense and they were so angry they were so angry about this body floating around and they were angry about the fly and then they were also angry about my implication that vr has real world effects doesn't it (laughs) well (laughs) i think so i mean i think it's i can't imagine that you would argue anything different but Certainly, there are people out there who think this is a toy, this is for fun, it's for play, it doesn't mean anything. I think you could say that about everything and then argue exactly the same way in the opposite. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a really tough thing to say without qualifying it. Mm-hmm. And so for those people, and there were some, I couldn't, there was no way I could frame it where mm-hmm. it would make sense to them. But I also found that interaction really interesting. And I think that's part of the experience is having these interactions. If if everybody who I showed the experience to responded in the way I wanted, it would be very boring. Yeah. I mean, that wouldn't be experiment at all. So, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, that's good too to sort of... Uh, do you think by showing people who were even very actively resistant to the ideas that you presented, do you think it still changed their way of thinking though? Do you think it was like sticky enough that they, it sounds like it's hard not to think about the project <laughs> afterwards, to be honest. Yeah, even if it was derisive comments afterwards, uh, I'm sure they continued to think about it. Those those people, I don't know. I don't know if they were challenged or, or had their minds changed in any kind of way. But definitely a lot of people who came in not thinking about this at all, who thought, oh, VR sounds cool. I wonder what this is like and just wandered in. And a lot of people that would be their first experience with a VR headset as well. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. 
for many people that many people out there haven't experienced VR at all yet. Yeah. And so even they would do these cardboard experiences and that was their first. Mm-hmm. I was about halfway into the room, so by the time they got to me they had looked into cardboard. Mm-hmm. Uh but but yeah, um And your setup was a HTC Vive with Elite motion, is that correct, right? It was yeah, it was uh it was an Oculus actually. An Oculus, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then was, the headphones as well, so they're completely in that no outside sound and you yeah. sat them down so they were unable to move physically except their hands that's right right okay mm-hmm. um so i had the leap motion that 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 so they could actually see their own hands uh and well not their own hands obviously actually some of these people who were really critical of the project were upset with also with my choice to use a woman's hands they said that it took them out of the experience <laughs> Welcome to our lives. <laughs> That's really tough. It's like for the amount of like games that you, we end up playing uh, as guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess like. Um, uh, yeah. But yeah, so you had these women's, women's, I guess they were women's hands. They looked very um, gender neutral to me. They were just hands. I mean, they weren't like giant, hairy ogre hands. Were they anything. white hands? <laughs> they were mid-toned okay mid-toned yeah Yeah. i tried to choose hands that i thought aren't going to belong to everyone but would belong to some people at least or middle of the spectrum i mean we're getting to the point where we can actually just even even now i think i have enough knowledge that i could set up a camera and actually use a person's skin color to change the color of the hands yeah and but I, I probably couldn't make them big over hands or tiny, delicate hands. <laughs> you don't know. Maybe you could scale up the assets based on how far. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't, it's possible, I'm sure. But yeah, it's it adds a lot more layers into it to actually see your own hands. Yeah. Yeah, and it's difficult, this representation, again, like in VR, how do you represent people? Um, yeah, it's it's a struggle, I think, to to represent people in a way which isn't, to relying on actual physical attributes that only re- only really belong to a certain uh, type of person, white guys, or you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's also tricky mm-hmm. to like choose things that kind of represent enough that are not too gamey looking or too um, stylized or unrealistic when you're going for something that kind of sounds like it it should have a bit of realism in it even though you're Mm. you're sort of playing with magic kind of this colorful building of things with your hands yeah i mean the fly looked very realistic and the room was very plain your hands were very realistic Mm. i mean the fact that they kept glitching and freezing into these sculptures was not (laughs) like the reality that we know um yeah I, I think it's really interesting what you're talking about, uh, about the like the identity in the experience and who it is. Uh, this has always been an issue uh, in everything. I mean, when I was a kid, for a long time, I read books. This is what I did for fun. I read lots and lots of books. And in my books, the narrator was almost always a guy. And I got very confused about things because I really started thinking, well, I probably am a guy too because I... This is what I understand. This is my reality. And, you know, it's still a confusing thing for me, just growing up with this like con- continuously enforced narrative that my eyes were a man's eyes. 
um, and that my body was a man's body. And then growing up and then being told, oh, no, you're a young lady now <laughs> was very confusing for me. <laughs> uh, and in VR, now we make these choices and people have always made them in books, in theater, in art, um, about the designer makes choices about what the protagonist is in yeah. a way, identity. And as a developer, this is something I have to think about now. Are these hands going to be white hands or are they going to be black hands? And this choice is very important. Yeah, I agree. And this is also, this carries through to kind of everything as well. It's growing up with games you get used to playing a certain type of protagonist as well. So for me, I chose to play certain games which offered something a little bit different like I really liked for instance Donkey Kong yeah he's a guy but he's a monkey um you know and uh for instance you know I really enjoyed playing Spyro when it came out originally too because it was like a different perspective that wasn't mine either but it wasn't one that felt really foreign to me in a way like I felt like everyone can kind of you know understand playing as a purple dragon you know it's a magical mystical mystical world Whereas playing certain games as a guy all the time, I find that a little bit, I mean, I, I think maybe I'm, you just get used to it at a point. Mm. But um, I guess having that switched on you when you're not used to that, maybe that's very difficult. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess, you know, this representation of the avatar is something which is wide, widely discussed and should be widely discussed. It's, it's very problematic often. Yeah, and it brings us back to your earlier point about, I, I think, us as game developers and game designers in VR, creating these experiences. What what kind of ethics do we have and what kind of intentionality do we bring to it? Do we have a plan or do we just see what happens? Uh, are we accountable for the decisions that we make? Uh, I think, yes, I think we are. And I think that we're headed towards a big wave where things we're either going to hit up against this wave and it's going to be a really hard crash or we're going to figure it out pretty quickly because we as a culture behave as if as if we're all individuals capable of free will and we're all responsible for ourselves but at the same time we're maintaining that there's like a psychology and that we're actually not in control of a lot of things and that a lot of outside forces shape and impact our behavior in really intense ways. And, and there's a, there's a clash between these two beliefs They're that we can't really hold them both. Mm. I mean, you can a little bit, but they, they, they end up clashing. So going on from this experiment, what do you think there was anything that you want to go into further with VR particularly? Is there something, could this experiment continue in its form? Would you do it again as it was? Mm. Yeah, it's hard to set up because you need a tattoo artist. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. That's not the most portable thing in the world. I had, I had the most incredible tattoo artist, this woman, Adrian Kammerer from Toronto. Um, originally what I wanted to make, before I made this, what I wanted to make was I thought, here's what's really interesting about VR. One of the things that's really interesting to me is that in VR anything is possible. Mm. I mean, not really, of course, but almost. And in VR, like you, let's say you're, you're trying to cross this giant desert. Well, why can't you just become like a giant monster that can step across the desert in one bound? You know, in VR, why should there be any barriers? The self can just be whatever it needs to be to um, overcome them. 
Do you know what I mean? Do you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, I do know yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then I was like having all these fantasy imaginings of this future world where, where our, most of our lives are in VR. So we get up and I know this is silly, but we get up and we put on our headsets and then we go to VR school and we play with our VR friends and we play our games in VR and we have this whole VR life. And, uh, and then I was like, well, if it's all in the computer, our entire lives already, then we could just kind of have every timeline running simultaneously, like every choice that you ever make in your entire life. You could make every choice in your life and then at some point in your life at like age, you know, 37, you could say, hey, actually I want to see what it would have been like if I would made all these choices and you could just jump over to another timeline because <laughs> it's equally possible. I mean, why can't the computer do it? It's like a text adventure, but in VR that you can go – back to the beginning and you know exactly. like those choose your own adventure novels that you know accept. exactly wow yeah um like all the timelines why not i mean if it's all just data um <laughs> so <laughs> this is what i was thinking about and then i wanted to make a game where it showed kind of like unfolding i wanted to use math and geometry to show that you can actually go into these impossible shapes and spaces in vr and then I realized I didn't know how to program. Uh, <laughs> 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 or how to use Unity. And I, and I was using this super old Oculus Dev 1.1 kit. Yeah. Like the oldest. And I was trying to develop on a Mac and it's not compatible. They're, they don't support it. With Elite Motion, they don't support Elite Motion. And I just thought, what is the, the idea at the center of my idea? Like what is this crystallized idea? And the idea is like, it's kind of about with my big idea of all these realities and timelines and unfolding dimensions. It's like the real question I'm asking is when, when you have VR, is there anything outside of that? Is there anything that is permanent? Is there anything that's holding us uh, kind of back from these infinite timelines? And it was like the meat body. It's the physical body that's holding us away from it. And I don't think that's bad. I love my meat body and I love nature <laughs> and I love taking off my headset um, I like you referring to it as the meat body. That's a really <laughs> expressive term. Like it, yeah, wow, like yeah. the meat body. Yeah. So this is where this is where the tattoo idea came from. Was from this desire to talk about that, about the thing that remains, mm. the thing that is outside of VR. Uh, so I kind of jumped twenty steps past my idea into like what I w the artwork that I would make if I could make the other artwork first. Um, and I think if I move forward with VR, which I'm, I'm thinking about, I'm learning how to develop with AR right now uh, with the HoloLens. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I'm kind of torn in two directions. In one direction, I want to develop for cardboard just because it's, it's financially accessible. And I think that's really important. Uh, and in the other direction, I just think, wow, AR and, and augmented realities in this world. And I get so excited. So probably no more tattoos I think that that was a really good experience <laughs> for people on one occasion. Those mm -hmm. five people are special. They're marked. They uh, are very special. <laughs> and, and the future holds. They're going to have a things. great story about that too. Like this weird artist put me in a room, <laughs> didn't tell me shit. I made things with my hands and then uh, I swatted a fly and eventually I got a tattoo. I mean, <laughs> great story for someone, but... Um, yeah, I can yeah. understand it would be, first of all, difficult to reproduce. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, it sounds like a piece I'd have a bit of fear for as well. Mm -hmm. Like it really, yeah, it's scary to propose 
Yeah. I don't know how you proposed it, first of all. Um, did you propose it? Did you have to propose it to somebody? Well, I mean, I had to propose to the tattoo artist. I had to convince this person that this is something that would be fun to do. And yeah, I had to propose it. I had to propose to it to the space as well. To the, to the space yeah. and to the people who were um, kind of like leading the exhibition. Um, but I think, I don't think that they were reluctant because it was so obvious that consent was going to be a big part of it. Yeah. And that it would be a conversation. Yeah. Uh, and that this was uh, a participation that people could choose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, certainly nobody was going to get this tattoo if they were uncertain or you maybe. You didn't have bouncers there to like tie them down to the <laughs> no, table. There's no time. Yeah, you know, <laughs> put this leather in your mouth, bite down hard. They had to be very excited. <laughs> and one of the people who got it, I, I had heard from someone later that, that they had heard about what I was working on and they said, I'm doing that. I'm going there. I'm doing that. Like they knew before the experience, which Did I didn't even know. Did she know that she had to kill a fly as well to get the tattoo? Uh, so at the beginning, people did not ever know. Yeah. And then later on, I, with a few people, I tried explaining it to them. And, but I, I liked it better when they didn't know. Yeah. Because this, this thing that I'm trying to express to them, which doesn't need a tattoo. It just needs the idea of a tattoo. It just needs me to say, now you've done this. Now the tattoo. It doesn't but actually But I like that you tattoo. can follow up on that. It's not just <laughs> like, yeah, you're going to get a tattoo and there's no one to do that because then you're just lying. Yeah. Whereas opposed to there's a tattoo artist and he's going to give you a tattoo, then it is a discussion and there's actual, there's actually someone real to do it with, you know, just yeah. in case they do decide that that's, yeah. Okay, yeah. sure. You know, what a great idea. I'll just get a spontaneous tattoo. Um, I don't have any tattoos either, so maybe I'm coming from – a different place as well yeah I think maybe yeah if you have a few already I don't know if this also really changes how you feel about it yeah I mean I like I can't speak to it like I said I didn't get the tattoo I did not kill the fly I would not kill the fly uh and but you know it has consequences but even if even if I would I just wouldn't I wouldn't <laughs> like to you know the other night I accidentally killed a moth and I just felt so unhappy about it. I don't really like killing things. Uh, but, you know, if there were no, if, if ethics were not a concern with this project, I would have it so that you kill the, the fly and then in VR you are tattooed in that moment and, and it would happen in, instantaneously, like in that moment, if ethics were not a concern for me. So you would see yourself being tattooed and you would actually get a tattoo at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or or you would just kill the fly and there would be like a, a, a dot on your hand and then you would take off the headset and it would still be there. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I like that idea too. It's like somehow you just, yeah, a bit tricky. Like a tattoo artist is following you around with a needle in space <laughs> and you just have to like, yeah, they have to simulate the exact location of the fly in 3D space with their with their needle they could be the fly they could be the fly yeah yeah i could i could i could chase Attach them with to, the fly yeah. wow this is maybe going a little bit too far <laughs> but um, this is something i would never do because again i think consent is is critical and i think there's not enough of it and there's no way to have 100 percent consent in any experience i mean this this you have you have the best you can do but like anytime you're putting a vr headset on someone i went to this uh conference and I was playing a VR experience, this really kind of interesting one where you are, uh, you're trying to make it through the space and, and you're crawling under things and climbing up things and you feel like you're in a big space, but actually you're just in a tiny little square. 
And uh, I was doing this and it was really fun. And then I took it off and my backpack was gone. And I thought, oh no, you know, like my laptop, my stuff, my whole life is in there. My passport, everything. And I was traveling and, uh, and I said, where's my backpack? And the person who was supposed to be washing the backpack said, I don't know. And I said, but my backpack, my headset. And I started panicking. And then, uh, and they're like, I'm really sorry. And I realized like with this headset on that I had no idea what was going on. And two minutes later, someone came running back in and said, oh, I took your backpack. Sorry. And everything was okay. But, uh, but that was when I really understood in for the first time, how, how far removed you are in VR. Yeah. And how vulnerable you are in a way as well. Yeah. Yeah, very, you're very vulnerable and you're totally unaware of what's happening outside. So with the headphones too, the headphones make such a big difference. Yeah. Um, I also yeah. think there's a really big difference between standing and sitting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in sitting you have like a – you have more understanding of where you are in space because obviously you, you're not moving around as much. You, you kind of feel like you're there. Someone was saying to me that a lot of people think they know where they are in in physical space when they're standing up and moving around for a while. They have no idea. Uh, when they take it off, people are constantly surprised about, you know, where they are in a room or what direction they're facing because you lose orientation really fast. But this is the thing as well is like you don't know what's going on around you, don't know what's happening with your body, you don't know where you are in physical space. It's it is a position of vulnerability much more than I guess what, what we've been talking about as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The first time I ever uh, went into VR, into a virtual world in this way, I pretty much immediately realized that my compass was gone and I'm mm. a very spatially aware person mm-hmm. and I realized I have no idea which way I'm pointing. And that was a, that was a strange feeling in itself. Do you remember what your first VR experience was? Yeah, I totally do, because it was just about a year ago. Oh, wow. Okay. At, at Amaze Berlin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was this one. And Did you play this? Did you play this experience? I'm what not sure yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to describe it. It was in this, in this booth. You're in this, like, this strange booth. And you can look out the windows, and it's raining, and it's just very vivid. It's just a scene. It won, it won the award last year at Amaze. Uh, it's, it's just kind of a room space. Yeah. Yeah. With, with ambient sounds. Yeah. There Do you have sounds. any agency in this? It's more of an experience rather than a game, I think. Yeah. Right? It's, it's more of an experience. Yeah. You're just, you're just looking around this yeah. little room. It feels like maybe you're a guard working in a. In yeah. A, you've got like a little plant in there. I don't know what this is called yeah. as well, but I, I do remember like there being like a little plant in the, the space or I think I remember there being a little plant. I really hope there's a little plant in there now. Um, but yes, I remember what you're talking about. But I don't remember there being a lot happening. No, with no, it. no, no. Yeah. It was just a really vivid scene. Yeah. Nothing is happening outside of the rain, I think. But yeah. you're just there. And then I did that. And then I, and then I walked, you know, 20 steps at, at a maze, as one does, and played lucid trips. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just bounced around. And it was, I, you know, I was laughing. I was having such a fun time. I, I, there were such different experiences, but both really compelling. And I think a lot has changed in a year as well with what has come out as well. So there's, we're kind of moving on or starting to move on from these kind of experiential basings to things where you actually have a bit of ability to, to do things. Yeah. And I think with that comes its own challenges too. It's, um, I was talking I was reading actually a 
short article by, I don't want to get her name wrong, but it's another one, Zoe Jellico. <laughs> We're going to say it like this so it sounds nice. She has a little umlaut over her E. Anyway, back to it. Uh, she wrote a great article in her book. Well, in a book that she's edited, she has one article in it. Uh, the book is called Critical Hits. And she talks there about uh, the placement of objects in games and how we're so particular about the objects and there's so much emphasis on the objects because you don't just populate a world with lots of objects, especially, you know, I mean, think to a point-and-click adventure. Everything really has a reason for being there or its background. And this is kind of the thing in VR is everything that's in there at the moment, you kind of can interact with in a way or it's really like this is background, you're just meant to look at it. And these two things kind of give us a really warped understanding of what objects mean in spaces Mm. and how to represent spaces in a realistic kind of way. And I think this is kind of interesting, but this kind of misbalance, like how do, how do we do this in a way which not every object has to mean something, but you have enough feeling of, of agency and ability to have an impact on the scenes that we're creating or the, the, the game spaces that we're creating. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's tough. I mean, Right now, I think the majority of VR experiences are for people alone. But I think as we have more and more of these experiences where people are sharing spaces, mm. it will change the way we look at objects. Um, I mean, I think the way we relate to objects in just in, in this meat world is very interesting by itself, the way that we relate to things as things to be used. Mm or are purchased or discarded. Uh, so even in this world, I think, I think we have this very strange relationship to stuff. Uh, I worked for a while in a, in, a, in a free store in Edmonton. So it was a store where you had to pay, you had to pay if you wanted to give them stuff. Mm-hmm. It was $5 for a box. <laughs> or you could take anything you wanted for free, you know, and or. So... So I worked in this store and I would just take people's money when they gave me stuff. And then people would just come in and take whatever they wanted. Mm-hmm. And working there really changed my relationship to stuff for a long time because I started thinking about stuff as something that you had to pay to get rid of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that was always accessible. So I would look and think, oh, oh that's a really nice sweater. But uh, I don't want to. I don't want to pay to get rid of it. I already have all these other sweaters that I uh, <laughs> <laughs> that I have to pay to get rid of. <laughs> and I it mean, changed. It really changed the way I looked at the objects. And this is also kind of strange too, is because we actually do pay to get rid of most of our things. If we mm-hmm. use garbage of any sort, if we go to the tip, we pay. We just pay like a radically tiny amount that it doesn't really come into our consideration and it's hidden it's hidden from us we're not thinking about it we don't yeah. look at our our fees and our taxes and think oh yes this is my garbage or in germany this is the my wonderful nebenkosten <laughs> yeah. in which the the rubbish is very well hidden and these uh yeah with your with your rent you get then the um it's divided into i don't even know how to describe this like the rent of your apartment and then also like the services, so mm. rubbish is included and someone who like cleans the stairs or, you know, if you live in an apartment. So I guess um, also garbage is such a small amount of that monthly sum that it's yeah it's negligible. 
And we don't know. I mean, I was reading the other day that actually if your neighbor is bad at sorting garbage and and does it poorly, does the recycling garbage stuff poorly, then then the building will be charged for those bags and it just gets lumped into that fee. Mm, mm. Nice. Yes. But yeah. There's also something about uh, if you mostly recycle, recycling is a lot cheaper than like the all-waste container. Oh, yeah. There's also lots of recycling containers in Germany for those who don't know. It's like, I don't know, what have we got? Uh, <laughs> normal rubbish, paper, <laughs> organic, uh, white glass, coloured glass, electrical stuff, uh, packaging. Bio. Yeah, okay. that's oh, you organic. Said organic, um, organic waste. Yeah, am I up to eight already? Did I mm. actually just list eight? Yeah, so, I mean, it is kind of like, yeah, it is a thing, isn't it? But in, but in games, but in games, it's more like, uh, you know, growing up, I had this compost pile. You ever have a compost? Yeah. Yeah. So in games, it's more like a compost. Like you have stuff and then when you don't need it anymore, it all kind of goes back into memory in the computer. It's just space turned into turned into pixels and turned into functions and turned into things that do. Um, so even though... I think that our challenges in relating to stuff in games is actually related to our challenges in relating to stuff in real life. It doesn't need to be. Mm. I mean, the way that we relate to stuff in games can be radically different. But yeah, this brings me back to the thing that we were talking about, which is that what is the big challenge? Like, what is the thing in VR, the limitation on on infinite possibility and all these things that the futurists are screaming about like it's the limitation is us you know it's, it's, our, it's our own bodies and it's our own prejudice and it's our own minds which are which are wired in very specific ways yeah coming back to your experience of lucid trips just quickly yeah. uh was it a standing experience or did they have like a kind of harness contraption standing okay standing um, I think this is also interesting too. Is lucid trips is a number of different in, um, different ways of presenting it. And I spoke to Sarah uh, on the last podcast, and she was talking about this kind of sling that they made. Which, mm-hmm. if you watch some of the documentation of lucid trips, you can see. Um, I think the ways of changing the meat body, to use your term, which I just I really like. Um, <laughs> I really like it. Um, the ways of changing the meat body to make you feel more involved and immersed in VR experiences is also kind of interesting. Mm. Um, What do you think the ways that we could do this in the future could be to maybe get this closer pairing of VR to real life? Mm. Yeah. Um, Okay. I want to talk about this, but first I want to say when I've talked to people about VR, I've heard a lot of conspiracy theories, but my favorite conspiracy theory ever from anyone was this guy who was really concerned when I was talking about VR, about bacteria. And he was really worried that if we all got into VR heavily, so using VR all day, every day, that we wouldn't be touching enough and we wouldn't be breathing on each other enough and we wouldn't be exchanging the bacteria that we need. And there's this whole like subculture existing, many, you know, billions and billions of subcultures existing of bacteria. And that this would be the downfall of civilization <laughs> wouldn't be this, this back this lack of bacteria. 
this sounds like he's imagining everyone kind of living in sterile bubbles yeah, to, bubbles to do VR, which is, which is funny mm. because in order to partake in VR experiences most of the time, I don't think many people have the gear. So mm. you have to go places to try things out, which means that you're actually sharing a lot of things along the way. And I think at the moment VR experiences are – much as much about the people that you're meeting at the event to talk about it and debrief with afterwards as the VR experience because VR experiences aren't generally that long right now. No. So there's not a lot of like sit home and play in my experience of it anyway. Yeah, there's lots of bacteria being shared. There's, yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, there's plenty of bacteria for all. Wow, okay. that is a super weird uh, conspiracy theory. But I liked it. But I, li- I like, I mean, I thought it was very interesting. I thought it was interesting to think about the bacteria. And the reason I thought of this when you asked your question was because I think about what are the parts. I mean, we live in a very visual culture. Uh, at least I do. Like Western late capitalism is very visual. And I'm not that visual. I'm probably like one third visual, one third auditory, and one third sensory, tactile, in terms of what I prioritize in incoming information. And so the auditory part of VR is very important to me. Um, and and then I think there's this, this, this tactile. Um, you know, and there's also, there's also, you know, taste and smell. Smell being, I worked on a project recently that was all about smell, and I got very interested in smell. Uh, <laughs> it is... It is uh, like a, a chemical sense, you know, yeah. and it is really, uh, really interesting <laughs> how what how we smell and what we smell and what smell can do to us. Uh, there are lots of controversial studies being done about about smell and fear. Um, you know, have you heard of this one where no. they okay? So they this is controversial. Uh, I'll say, <laughs> but okay. but, but they. <laughs> The scientists took uh, some sweat from people who were exercising and they had some people smell it and, uh, and measured their bio, biofeedback, their signals. And then they also took sweat from the, the same exercising people, but while they were skydiving and then had people smell that sweat and it changed, it drastically changed. And so they were saying they think that the smell of fear creates fear. Like it changed, it changed parts of the brain that are mm. associated with fear and that we as humans can smell other people's fear and then inherit some of it. I'm sure um, adrenaline though would change a lot of chemical compounds in a body. Yeah. That chemicals coming from your body plus adrenaline would do something to it the way that you smell. Like that right. to me doesn't sound but super that, odd. But that, 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 but that, 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 that sweat can trigger would, something else. would light up areas in your brain yeah. that it would be, I, I mean, I don't know, but smell, I think is a really interesting thing that VR could use. Mm. Um, and your smell project, was that in VR as well? Or is it a separate project? You mm. did something with smell. I don't know a lot about it. It involved balloons. It did because I needed a way to contain smells and then release them abruptly. And so uh, when I was trying to think of ways to do it, putting them inside balloons seemed like a really good option and then popping the balloons. Did it kind of disperse nicely as well? I mean, you kind of see things coming out of balloons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, t- I tested it. It really depends. Like there were a lot of factors. I had to pop a lot of balloons uh, to test this stuff out. But um, <laughs> Super fun neighbor. <laughs> that's right. Um, and 
like if you if you blow them up a lot it's good so they need to be very inflated but it would just kind of burst right in your face more or less and you would have this burst of smell of essential oil which i would just put a little bit of essential oil in the balloons these these mixtures that i made mm-hmm. with the berlin smell lab because in berlin there is a collaborative community of artists who work with smell wow but i mean they're they're doing really interesting work and they had one thing called smells of berlin or something where they got smells of kebabs and smells of the streets spargle uh, pee yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. you always know it's asparagus season in, in berlin when the <laughs> stations start to smell like asparagus <laughs> it's true uh but yeah so this 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 game burst it was not in vr and i thought about doing it in vr but i wanted people to pop the balloons which require sharp objects and i didn't want people running around with sharp objects mm. with the headsets on you could have like really done a two for one here and put given them like tattoo guns <laughs> and then you know one person is the tattooing person and the other person's and they're trying to get the balloons but the other person thinks they're the fly <laughs> Yeah, multiplayer. Yeah, multi multiplayer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that would have been a good one for AR, and mm-hmm. that's something that I would have considered is is using augmented reality with something like that. I, I also thought about just blindfolding them completely. Mm-hmm. I mean, we use virtual reality for these visual worlds, but there's no reason that I can't make a sm- a smell a smell virtual world. Like, why does virtual reality have to be always visual? And there's this new there's this new audio uh, audio SDK or something that came out mm. where you can do really interesting spatial sounds yeah. in Unity. That's something I would play with with smell. Yeah, yeah. Is is that enough? I guess like to to figure out where you are in space to give people enough cues to to try something else out. At the moment, agency feels a little bit limited in VR, so trying mm. other things out could be super interesting. Yeah, you know, when I made when I made this this uh, other hands VR tattoo game, I uh, I made I really made the meat of it in two days. Mm. I had two days where I just fought and I cried. I cried. I always cry when I'm making a game. It's it's, <laughs> it's gonna be tears. <laughs> how much of that is technical, and how much of that is blood, sweat, and tears? mostly technical challenges (laughs) it's just hitting the barriers of my knowledge yeah uh, because I learn all this as I go I never enter knowing anything and and it's just it can get so frustrating uh so yeah but I cry and and I work and I fight and I struggle and then and then at the end I was going to the exhibition so it was done I had it it was working there were some audio things that weren't working properly but I was like I'm done and I was going to the exhibition and I I packed everything in my backpack, super heavy backpack, and I got on my bike and I was biking down the Karl Marx Ali and it was the most beautiful day and the <laughs> sun was shining on my face, like the, like the slowly sunsetting sun and the wind was warm and perfect and I felt just like a god just flying along this beautiful bike path far away from the cars, perfect weather and I had been crunched over my laptop for 48 hours, just miserable. And I thought, why am I making VR? Look at this R. Like, it's so good. <laughs> it's so... And I was having this moment. I mean, I was being brought to, I don't know what kind of experience. And I have felt like that a couple times. And And I don't know. I don't know how VR gets... Maybe VR doesn't even try and compete with that. 
uh, that kind of experience because you mean you can you can it's like a book you know I've read a lot of books that have moved me deeply and changed my life forever but still sometimes on a spring day you just want to go out and walk by the water and feel the breeze on your face and be alone with your own breath and your own thoughts and and no book and no VR can really compete with that and nor should it try I think those are the very best days in Berlin though there's also like the other half a year, <laughs> which is not like this quite literal spring <laughs> that you're describing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where everyone turns inside on themselves and there's no warmth. No one has any love to give. No. They're all just it, cold yeah. and sad and hard. It gets yeah. grey and everyone gets grey in it. Yeah. Yeah. I think for those, those are the days that perhaps VR is made for. <laughs> But yeah, it's, um, I think you're right on that. Don't try and compete with the amazing natural things that are out there to offer like sunshine on spring days. Go out and enjoy those. But for crappy days, mm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a lot to be made. It's, uh, we're lucky. I feel so lucky to be in Berlin right now, mm. um, developing VR experiences and making experimental games. I mean, this is the place for me. This is the place to be uh, with smell labs popping up and so many I still many can't supportive. believe there's a smell lab. I have to get over my prejudice of what this means because this to me is like it sounds to me really wanky and I'm sure it's not and I'm sure it's very lovely and um, scientific in its own way and mm. but uh, it really like if you tried to describe someone what the smell lab was I'm pretty sure they just imagine people in like trousers that are too short with like colorful socks and long beards and round glasses and everyone's just sitting around something smelling. Um, Yes, that's probably the image I have in my head as well. So I might have to get over that. (laughs) Change your image. Imagine instead Spectrum, you know, Spectrum, a very nice community space. And people are sitting around and they're talking about what is smell? What does smell mean to people? How do we feel about it? Um, do we want to, so, there are all these like little jars of stuff that you can smell. Mm-hmm. And this woman I was working with, Clara, uh, she distills smells herself. So she has these giant glass things and she breaks things down and extracts smell from them. Uh, they're just nerds of another type. <laughs> I just need to think of them as nerds of another type. I mean, imagine if you could, um, so let's say you have a lover and you love them very, very much. Imagine if you could just capture their smell. I'm just pretty put... sure you're describing the, the plot of Parfume right now. <laughs> and I'm not sure that this is exactly the right way to go with it, but I, I get what you're saying. I do understand what you're saying. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I think on that note, we might wrap up. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, Marie. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, it's <laughs> wonderful to talk to you. There's moments like this are rare, you know, so thank you. And on that note, thanks for tuning in. This is another episode of Life and Dev. I'm Elise Terranova and talk to you next time. Ciao.